You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Coming at you, the field of candidates is expanding like the federal debt. It is going up. Uh, we had two within 24 hours announced um, in a very um, unsurprising move. Hillary Rodham Clinton went ahead and announced via YouTube and Twitter on Sunday, which I, I, I enjoy the irony of, of someone who can't find their emails announcing their presidential candidacy via YouTube, Twitter, social media, and modern technology. So there, there certainly is something to be said for how quickly she was able to adapt to these new technologies. She's already off and running in Iowa today, meeting with people. She's just very awkward one-on-one, and... Uh, I, I think this campaign is going to be really interesting to watch and poke holes at. On the Republican side of things, Marco Rubio, the senator from Miami area, from the great state of Florida, announced yesterday to a very big crowd the difference in announcements was pretty palpable, as Hillary Clinton did kind of the soft rollout, although she's technically been running for president for this entire eight years. And it's been... Interesting to see that uh, the Ready for Hillary pack has been running around and uh, raising money. And the, the excitement that the announcement brought was uh, was felt on the left. And on the right, this was something that was very anticipated. Marco Rubio's announcement came out. And um, we now have three senators that have announced that they are running for president of the United States. Senators typically don't do real well uh, on the Republican side as far as winning nominations. So I think it was a smart move by Rubio to go ahead and get out there. He is going to be able to put together a pretty good organization. He'll, he's certainly going to be on the map for next year. He's raised a lot of money during his tenure as a senator, and uh, he's a, he certainly is an interesting candidate. Uh, we're joined in the studio today by uh, entrepreneur and uh, Fulton County activist Nate Porter. Nate, how are you doing today, bud? Doing good, Greg. How are you? I'm good. What have you been thinking about these uh, these candidates and the announcements and stuff? I know you're kind of a Rand Paul guy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more on the, the Rand Paul side of the pol- political spectrum. Um I really enjoyed his father, and I think his father brought a lot of people into the campaign. Um, it's unfortunate that a lot of those people didn't stick around, um, as I'm sure a lot of people would have liked. Um, I think Rand has done a really good job, though, at um, trying to corral some of those people back in, while at the same time, I think he's done a great job expanding into some new areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's done a lot of outreach, especially with uh, minority communities that I think has been... I think it's been it's been well received. I think a lot of people are looking at what he was doing with um, Senator um, I can't remember the name exactly from New Jersey Booker, Cory Booker, Cory Booker, yep. yeah, yep. Um, you know, and trying to get some some reforms done. Uh, you, you know, I think I think that that's what's really helping broaden the base. Um, and, it, and on top of that, he pulls the best against Hillary. I mean, yep. plain and simple, he's the only one that uh, I think has beat her in a couple polls recently. Um, but as far as the overall margin, uh, I think it's like uh, within five points. Yeah, I've seen he's been very competitive in several swing states, and that's what uh, I think Pennsylvania is actually one of the swing states that he was within a couple points. And, uh, of course, it is very early. Just a year and a half ago, Hillary Clinton had a 65% approval rating, which is shocking <laughs> that her approval – I mean, I think that that is a sign of low-information voters. If you look at her record, it's abysmal as Secretary of State. The, it's the worldwide dumpster fire tour that I think that she's, she's left in her way. As Secretary of State, literally every place 
on the globe is more dangerous now than it was four years ago. And um, I, I'm ready for Hillary to, to, to come clean on Benghazi. I'm ready for her to, uh, to come up with all those emails that are missing. In fact, the Russians have hacked into, uh, they've admitted to hacking into the White House system. So they basically got Obama's personal schedule, which means they know where all the cool golf courses are now. <laughs> in fact, there's one in Nevada called, uh, it's where the, uh, it's a top secret one. And it's called Area Hole in One. This is definitely the most secret <laughs> golf course out there. We just we're doing a little Masters humor here. We just had the the Masters happen where a uh, CBS was probably hating life, where they had a uh, a pretty non climactic or anti climactic final day. Do you watch golf or anything? Uh, no, no, I'm not a big golfer person. I'd rather watch grass grow, which is basically <laughs> what you do when you're watching golf. But uh, at, at any rate, back to uh, Hillary Clinton. I, I do Obama. think Hillary, I think it's really easy for her to have high approval ratings when she's unemployed by government. <laughs> if you think about it, over the last few years, she's had her highest unemployment ratings, but she hasn't been employed in any office at all. No. So of course she does. She hasn't been able to screw anything up. <laughs> now, now all those things that she's done in the past are going to come back to haunt her, and, and that's, that's why she's starting to dip. I hope so. I mean, literally, her approval rating has gone down 15 points just in the past year, and her hazy memory on Benghazi, her, her keeping a private email server and then deleting all of the salient emails. We don't, get, we don't really care about Chelsea Clinton's wedding dress. I want to know what kind of communications were going on, what she knew, when she knew it, who gave the stand-down order. And and there's a, a, just too many questions about Hillary Clinton that have gone unanswered. I I truly do hope that there is somebody on the Democrat side that rises up to, to challenge her in the primary. I know a lot of Democrats are not happy with Hillary Clinton, but she seems to be the anointed one. And um, just having having Bill in there as the first man or the first bro <laughs> is uh, that's comedic gold. Part of me would wouldn't mind seeing Bill Clinton back because he is co- comedic gold. But uh, do you remember the the Clinton years? Is the nineties? I know you're a little younger than I am. But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember. Him. I remember uh, that was the first election I ever really paid attention to. Okay. I was like 12 years old at the time, and they were doing, you know, whatever, whatever they do in school. You know, their, their little pools and core. stuff. Yeah, this is pre-Common Core days. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I remember Bill. Okay. So, basically, if you look at the his presidency the, from the 91 to 99, the United States was doing pretty well. There was no war on terror. There, the economy was growing. There were some dips, but uh, there's a little bit of a terrorist attack in '97. I think Osama bin Laden. Uh, I think that was when they attacked the uh, the uh, the cruise ship in the, the Suez Canal. But uh, it, for the most part, things were going pretty well. We saw the dot com bubble burst towards the end of it, and that's kind of what greeted George W. Bush to office that and uh, something called 9/11. So clearly, challenges were far more. Or, or were much greater for George W. than Bill Clinton, where we didn't have a, uh, you know, any kind of global calamity going on. So both, most people look at it and say, yeah, we achieved welfare reform, we had balanced budgets, and uh, peace in our time for the most part. That's what I remember from it. But what Republicans need to point out is why we had that. And it's because we had strong leaders like Newt Gingrich and Bob Barr and several others that were in the House of Representatives and in the Senate that made Bill Clinton come to the table, that made him negotiate. And that's what achieved the welfare reform, which was the work fair, which meant that people actually had to, if they wanted to check, they actually had to act like they were trying to get a job. Call me old-fashioned. I think that's, that's what we should go back to right now. A lot of states are going back to that, too. Um, and they're... 
I don't know the exact numbers, but I know in Maine, I want to say they just passed the uh, rule that anybody that's on uh, so, any sort of social programs whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, I think it's primarily Snap, actually. Uh, they actually have to do some kind of a volunteer work. It's like four or five hours, nothing huge. Um, but it's just a requirement that they've added to the program. And I want to say it like 90% of the users dropped out of it because they didn't want to put forth the four or five hours that they were asking to, right. to receive it. And some of them, you know, might be hard cases that, that legitimately don't have the ability to, but I'm sure there's other programs that help them out. But um, I just think it's amazing that when asked to put minimal effort into it, that so many people are willing to just abandon the program. Right. You know, if it's a necessity, if it's something that you have to survive on, uh, what's four hours putting into to something that you need? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I think there's all sorts of, of efforts. Basically, the longer somebody's unemployed, if they go more than six months without a job, their skills start to stagnate and it becomes a, a, a big problem. I mean, you're in, you have a payroll company and a couple other businesses, you know who is employable and who isn't. And if you've seen somebody that hasn't had a job for two years, this is called the long-term unemployed, but somebody like you that's in a hiring mode is going to say, why, how have you survived for two years without working? What is, as an entrepreneur, what does that say to, to you when you see somebody that really hasn't been working for two years and then all of a sudden they want to jump back in? What do you, what, what's well, the, the question? The, the question's always why. I mean, why, why is it that you haven't been working? And some, some reasons are legitimate. I mean, uh, I know a guy that at a young age, you know, 20, 21, built a business, sold it for a little bit of money. A few hundred thousand dollars, but he took the next three years off, mm-hmm. lived on an island, <laughs> blew his money, came back, and had to go to work again. So his reason why is he was broke again. You that's know? a good. I that's mean, a good reason, though. I, I would hire that fellow. <laughs> but 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 then there's other people that just you know they have their hard case scenarios where they were injured or they had something that happened to them or you know maybe it was a, a woman that decided to have a few kids or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I think those are all legitimate yeah. reasons as well. Of course, it's you know somebody that uh, you know had a high paying salary that um, then couldn't find another job at that rate and then. Spends three years, you know, looking for a job, even though there's jobs available that they qualify for that just don't pay them what they think they're worth. Right. Um, and they, they, they sit around unemployed for a while. Those are the people that are more my concern. They're the ones that were more than capable of actually going out there and finding a position and just chose not to because they, they couldn't humble themselves to realize that their situation required them to, yeah. you know, make a little less than they were before. Th- those those are the ones that bother me yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, the middle management jobs that uh, where they were paying getting eighty thousand, hundred thousand a year, and those jobs have now been outsourced or um, they've just lo- been lost through attrition. Uh, technology has replaced a lot of these um, organizations or companies. Uh, a lot of companies are, are wanting to hire outside third parties for labor, so they don't have to incur the labor costs. So we've got um, a very dynamic labor market here in the United States. Obviously, illegal immigration and legal immigration impacts it as well because we're seeing technology. I know you're kind of a technology guy. How much are we really outsourcing to countries like India and China? And, and I think Philippines actually gets some of our business too. Um, I, You know, that's a really hard question to answer without actually looking at raw data. But... Um, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know in general, I know the people that I talk to and people that I kind of, you know, look to for advice. It, the idea is to, um, especially in the technology side, it's to one, make your, your, your system as efficient as possible. Um, and then two is to uh, turn around and outsource anything that you actually can. Now that doesn't necessarily mean outsourcing overseas mm-hmm. per se, but it just means outsourcing in general. You know, people outsource their payroll, right. um, bookkeeping services to me. So, uh, the general idea, though, is is you're, you're constantly looking to outsource. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of where it's going to go, and that's 
that's going to be based off of what climate allows for those labor individuals to compete the most. If there's restrictions on, hey, I have to charge this much, it's going to be harder to compete with somebody around the globe that can do the same thing, and they can charge a much less rate. Yeah, I mean, if you look and see what the average incomes for folks in India and China's, I mean, they, their incomes are a bowl of rice and some fish per day at some of the, the the campuses that manufacture electronics. We'll never compete with that. I don't think the United States wants to be making soccer balls or textiles, right? Do but we? Th- th- there's different outsourcing, and you're referring to what most people think of when they think of outsourcing, which is people and, you know, labor facilities where they're manufacturing goods and, and that's balls. all they do. Soccer balls, tennis shoes, clothes, whatever whatever yeah. it is that we Textiles. consume. But then there's another set of outsourcing that, um, and this is where I think we really drop the ball, is it's not that, it, that's not it. It's not those environment at all. It's a guy sitting at home on his couch doing work um, from his laptop in India for a guy in you know, Los Angeles. I have a, I outsourced to a guy in Sri Lanka. Actually, mm-hmm. um, he's unbelievable. He's great. He really helps me out with a, a lot Is of that the technical you stuff. Hate America? No, definitely not. It's uh, I actually found him on a website that's I believe it's an American website. Okay, it's, uh, it's uh, guru dot com. All right, so just threw that out there. For <laughs> guru, <laughs> guru, thanks you for that plug. Uh, but no, it's yeah, great. I mean, I, I met him from that, okay. and then we've since you know been able to come up with a longer term thing. And and I tried to find somebody in the U.S. to do it. I just I couldn't find that person. Right. He was could. just the person I found. He's the first person I found that I trusted, and so I just went with him. Globalization is uh, is really helping companies become more productive, and that's really what outsourcing is. Uh, Dave, do you want to go ahead and take our first break here? Just, just a minute. Okay. Well, we're going to be coming up on our 2.14 or 2.15 break here in a second, but uh, when we get back from the break, wanted to kind of run down some of the, uh, the Republican candidates. I think it's interesting, the diversity in the Republican field this year, and then the Democrats are the ones with a rich old white person as their uh, anointed one. So we'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List to pick up on that topic. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. 
You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Wanted to make an announcement. Uh, Herman Cain will be speaking to the UGA College Republicans tomorrow night, 6 p.m. at the Miller Learning Center, 6 p.m. The Herman Cain show will be going on. Our friends Abby Fry and uh, Colin Daniels and the rest of the UGA CRs have been really pumping out this event, and uh, I think it's going to be great. We're trying to get some folks from Atlanta to, to go visit Athens. The the, um, the the state convention, the Republican Party convention, will be the weekend of uh, May fifteenth, somewhere in that uh, range, and that's that'll be a two day affair where uh, all the Republicans in the state will convene. I worry a little bit, Nate, that uh, there's a little bit of complacency now. You saw this the the last election where we won by eight points uh, for the governor's race and the Senate race, and I think I'm seeing a little bit of uh, lethargy. Uh, and some of the activists where we've won. Uh, I'm hoping this presidential race will rejuvenate people. We have so many candidates coming out. What are you seeing? Are you seeing any? I, I actually see that there's a small group of people that are really, really excited about the elections that are coming up um, that are actually just excited about what's going on in general. Um, I think a lot of them are, are more of the, the guys that – it's really the group that kind of stuck around from the Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of those guys kind of got left over, and they kind of started to uh, absorb into the party. And I think that if you look at any excitement that's existing right now, I think it's kind of within that group. Um, and there's a lot of them that are really excited about moving the Republican Party forward and, and, um, and, and making it the, you know, the grand old party once again, which yeah. it, it kind of isn't. I, I mean, I, I think you're right in the sense that – the excitement for the party has died, but I think that there's some people inside the party that are really excited about bringing it back and making it, um, you know, better than it was yeah. before. Well, I, I think we need to, to try to make things more fun. I went to the DeKalb uh, GOP launch party the other night in Twains, which is in downtown Decatur, and I must say it was quite the tattoo show from the servers there. What they what they lacked in muscle tone, they certainly have <laughs> for with uh, with a lot, a copious amount of tattoos. I, I, I don't have any tattoos personally. I don't uh, condemn people for getting them, but I do think that sometimes they can get a little excessive, um, especially when your tattoos have tattoos on top of them. Like you've got like a, a, a tattoo of mom, and the tattoo of mom has a tattoo on top of it. I, you know, these I guess you can call them tattoo addicts or junkies—people that just love going under the needle. And uh, I don't know. They, I guess they're making it rain for people in the tattoo world. But uh, at any rate, this was a great event. Alex Jimenez, the events chair, and uh, the rest of the new leadership in DeKalb put on a, a great event, and we were going. Play Places that normally you wouldn't think of the Republican Party in downtown Decatur. So I, I guess I can see that side of things where we are trying to spread our wings a little bit and put the party back in Republican Party. And I was at that same same party with you, and, and I thought it was awesome. I mean, there's a lot of people there. Um, a lot of people from around the state came. It mm-hmm. wasn't just people from DeKalb. Yeah, Ron Johnson, the second vice chair, came down from Jefferson. Yeah, uh, we had some people from Catoosa County all the way up north come down right. as well. Yep. Ed, Ed Caldwell, I can't remember where he's from specifically, but he's up north too. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that came from all around that were excited. Um, it was really cool. They had their own Republican beer there. Elephant's Dream. Elephant's which, uh, Dream. Russell, I mean, how awesome is that? Russell Steen, Will Frisch, and uh, a couple of other folks got with uh, one of the brewmasters there at Twain's. And it was good. I, I was leery that it would taste like elephant something else. <laughs> but uh, it was an oatmeal stout, quite tasty, and I got to say, quite the uh, alcohol content. But I, I think the, the point is, though, is that it was, it was new. It was a fresh idea. 
even though it's kind of a catchy little thing, it's a, it's its own beer. It's still it's something fun. It's something that's mm-hmm. going to attract a newer demographic of person to the party, and it's relevant to issues that are going on, like the the craft brew, yep. uh, you know, bill that we've got. Yeah, the beer jobs bill, which uh, it was Senate Bill sixty three, changed a lot, went under a lot of different. Uh, uh, amendments and was almost killed for a while. It ended up passing, and um, we got to talk about this at the breakfast on uh, on Saturday. And not, of course, nobody's a hundred percent happy with it. But the bottom line is, you will now be able to go to a brewery and leave with some of their product, whether or not they'll be able to sell it directly, or you just have to pay an excessive amount for a glass, and then they give you the beer. Who cares? You'll be able to leave with it, and this gives us a chance to renew this battle, to fight again, to fight for limited government principles. I think it's actually good for, for Republicans to be behind issues like this and the, and the Uber issue because it proves to the general masses that we actually do stand for limited government, lower regulations, and free market ideas. So, I, and, and some people say, Greg, oh, that's a small ball. We need to end Common Core or uh, go to the fair tax. Well, put it this way, folks. If we can't win on, on, on uh, opening up markets for, for beer or, or allowing transportation freedom, then how the hell do you think we're going to stop Common Core? Well, I mean, what it really boils down to is if, you, if you're really smart about it, you're going to use every issue to attract as many people as possible to the party. You know, an issue like the, the craft brew beer, I mean, that's something that's going to attract a certain demographic of people. Mm-hmm. If the party's really interested in growing the party, they need to take these different issues that are important to Republicans as a whole mm-hmm. and use all of them to attract new people. You know, you can use Common Core to attract a different demographic of people. I mean, that's going to be more of your moms and, and, you know, people that have younger kids, your families, which is a key demographic. Yeah. Craft Brew is going to attract more of your college-age kids or your yeah. single young adults. Yeah, well, and the other thing, well, craft beer, the the irony of that is it is really going into the 35 to 50-year-old market where the, 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 the collegiate crowd is still going to be sucking down the natural lights. And, um, it, well, <laughs> I was going to say on uh, during spring break, but we saw Panama City actually outlawed beer on the beach during spring break recently. Now, that's... That's a whole other issue. But I, the, but I don't fall into either of those categories, and I'm excited yeah. about the cap here. <laughs> I mean, there's that young adult. I mean, there's that 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 Obama had huge numbers of. You know, the yeah. the 20 to 30 year old group that. The craft beer, they're, they're starting to get into where they're getting out of the college beer, right. you know, sucking down the Keystone Light. Uh, that's what we did in Nevada. Uh, and then moving on and graduating into, you know, you know some of your nicer beers, yep. some of the ones that taste a little bit better. Yeah, and the, the craft beers really do create jobs in Georgia. Um, you probably saw Nancy Palmer talk about it. She's the executive director of the Craft Brew Guild. She's been on the show before. Had just a, an amazing PowerPoint presentation showing the impact of these these are and these are legit manufacturing jobs when you talk to some of the owners of these breweries nick purdy he gets excited over at wild heaven indicator about yeah we've got forklifts going and smoke going i mean they're actually creating a product and and adding value to uh to a to a product real jobs they don't they're not asking for bailouts or 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 free government grants they're not cylinder where they need a government guarantee they're uh, entrepreneurs willing to risk their own capital and all they want to do is be able to sell some of their own damn product. Well, it, it makes no sense for them to, to have any real laws regarding it to begin with, if you really think about it. I mean, all they're doing is they're, you know, they're, they're, they're making a product that consumers want to buy. They want to be able to sell it at their location. I mean, they're allowed to sell it, bottle it, and go somewhere else. Yep. So, so why shouldn't they just be able to sell it at their own location? I mean, there's no reason for them to regulate that specific transaction right. to begin with. 
I mean, it makes it makes zero sense. It goes sense. back to the there's a three tier system, and it goes back to the 1920s and 30s after prohibition. They want they didn't want the big beer manufacturers, which right now would be like the Budweiser and the Bud Lights or the Anheuser Busch and the Millers. They didn't want them to have monopoly power over everything, so they set up this distributor model. And guess what? Unintended consequences. Decades later, you now have this distributors, which is, is this oligopoly of people, and they're scared that the craft beers being able to sell minute amounts of their own product would somehow cut them out of the loop. They're, they're always afraid of that mega monopoly that's going to come and swallow us whole. I mean, that's the excuse for every regulation that comes up. I mean, the idea that the by... Trust the idea that by <laughs> making it extremely difficult to enter into the market, that that's somehow going to spur competition is so ridiculous. It makes zero sense whatsoever. Yeah, and, it's, and, and it's those, it's that regulation that helps create the monopoly, and it's, I mean, it's, it really doesn't take a rocket scientist, I think, to figure it out. I think it's pretty plain and simple. I, I just, I think it really boils down to some people want to be able to control certain things for whatever reason, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, you know, moral issues or just personal issues, but but they want to control it, and I think that that's where the problem lies is is people trying to control other people and what they're trying to do. Well, the 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 beer, um, the the breweries, they they don't want to bottle their own beer. They don't want to get into that. In fact, that's what bottlers do in a way that that circles back to our outsourcing. They they're not outsourcing to India. They're outsourcing to a company that specializes in bottling. Coca Cola Enterprises is the bottler for Coca Cola, and I think they were spun off several years ago because Coca-Cola realized hey we're good at, at, at putting a bunch of sugar in a can <laughs> but but or we're good at we're good at brewing it and mark Coca-Cola is basically a marketing company we're we're good at telling kids that they need to suck down sugary beverages every opportunity but uh, you know this bottling thing man we got to have inventory we've got all these manufacturing employees that want to go on strike if we don't pay them enough. we're gonna spin that off and do what we do best which is market uh, a sugary product and Gatorade by the no, no, they have Powerade. Pepsi has Gatorade. Did you know that? Tr- I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 I, knew, I knew about the Powerade, but I didn't know about the Gatorade. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that was Pepsi. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. But anyway, so those companies have outsourced, and they have volunteered to go to a distributor model. But in Georgia, we have these antiquated laws that have mandated that alcohol, basically the beer, has to be sold through this three-tier system. Now, wine, you can go to a winery in North Georgia and buy as much as you want. Why is that? Why why is wine given this this gilded treatment, and beer isn't? Well, it's because beer gets demonized as to be a little bit more of a low class thing. That and it's a do. Ga- it's a gateway drug. <laughs> Where wine is more sophisticated. <laughs> I mean, you have a sommelier, which is the term for somebody that knows how to taste wine. <laughs> they you have know? a term for that. Yeah. Awesome. It sounded uh, French. It, it probably is. <laughs> um, but, it, I mean, it makes no sense, though, to have a multi-tiered system. I mean, I think – I don't know if you've ever been to Portland, Oregon, but Portland is more breweries uh, per – Per capita. Per capita, yeah, essentially. And uh, and it's great. I mean, every single – there's so many small business entrepreneurs in that city that own their own brewery. Mm-hmm. The restaurants there are unbelievable because they're all attached to some kind of a restaurant. They don't just – some of them do just sell beer, but most of them are attached to a restaurant. Okay. And there's so much diversity there. There's – all these different types of microbreweries, there's all this different type of economic growth that's as a result of it, and we're just we're handicapping ourselves here by not allowing that to happen. Yeah, and the brew pubs here, and these are the Gordon Biersches, the Five Seasons, these were the guys that were kind of left out of the uh, uh, of Senate Bill 63. They, I think, are the most handicapped by these laws because you get the Sweetwater and the Wild Heaven and, and some of these other places. They can sell their beer. That's all they do is they have brewery tours and they try to sell it in uh, retail establishments and, and bars, but the brew 
brew pubs have no mechanism. They can't even sell a growler right now. And I, I, I encourage them to strongly consider civil disobedience at a certain level. If somebody wants to buy a growler of the uh, the Pilsner that Gordon Beer sells, I think Gordon Beer should should take a look at it and say, you know what? We don't feel like we've been treated fairly. There's an equal opportunity for, for entrepreneurs. And we're going to go ahead and start distributing. We're, we're, in fact, we're not going to sell it. We're just going to we're, we're going to sell the glass and fill it up with free beer. I think that may be a model. David, we need to do our uh, two thirty break here. We'll be back in a couple minutes. We're here with uh, Nate Porter talking uh, government philosophy, some Georgia politics, some national politics. We'll be back. I did. We forgot to talk about the presidential stuff. So when we get back after two thirty, we will be discussing the uh, the, the the wide uh, menu on the Republican slate. See you in a minute. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Tracy Pearson with Prissy Tomboy. Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time as I interview special guests that will inspire adventure and fitness for females. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's The Slide, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Coming at you in the height of pollen season. There was a record high of uh, pollen count the other day. Speaking of record highs, the national debt is over $18 trillion. Apparently, it's been paused for 22 days, according to the Treasury Department, because, once again, we are reaching that debt ceiling. And I know you love talking about national debt and government irresponsibility. Uh, I was driving the other day, and I saw a Georgia government car, and it was a Hyundai. It was a Sonata Hybrid, I believe. 
I started to think of why is our government buying cars from Korean auto man- automakers? Do you do you have a problem with that, Nate? Um, do I have a problem with that? Shouldn't we be investing in American companies? I mean, I think that we should be investing into American companies. Um, at the same time, though, I don't think very many American auto manufacturers manufacture their vehicles in America anymore. So it's kind of a catch-22 if you really think about it. I mean, if you think about it, Hyundai probably – the car may be very well put together here. I know my wife's Honda was made in Marysville, Ohio. BMW has plants here. There's a Kia plant over in uh, West Georgia. So the argument that I could see on the – I always like to mention both sides. I am unbiased and uh, correct politically, not politically correct. But uh, I can see the argument that Hyundai has plants here. And somebody could say that is an American-made Korean car. <laughs> but but it, where's a Ford actually made? I mean, I think most of it's just the same kind of manufactured overseas and then assembled here the same way. So, I mean, really, the, the American it's industry... Still a, it's still a for-profit Korean company, though. That They're the ones that are making the profits. So. Yeah, but the, the, they're still paying the taxes here on what they earn over here. I mean, I really, I, I, I get, I get that it. The idea is you want to buy American made. Like Ford, like why can't they buy a Ford Fusion? Ford didn't take a bailout. Um, I, I mean, I, I get that. I just, uh, I don't know. I guess on the car issue specifically, because I think they're all manu- I think they all follow the same business model. Yeah. To me, it's not that big of a deal. Ma'am. I also drive a foreign car, so maybe well, that's why. Mister <laughs> Audi, I uh, uh, Audi Swiss, I guess. We have a. I don't know what it is. German, maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay. My wife drives a Nissan, too. So. Uh, yeah. You do hate America, don't you? But. I guess. I guess. Uh, Speaking of hating America, back to Hillary Clinton. We, uh, She's clearly the one that they've cleared the way for, a rich old white person on the Democrat side. And you look at the Republican side, we've got a, a, an African-American doctor, black, uh, black guy, Dr. Ben Carson, who has made some kind of outlandish remarks as of late. He's uh, come across as homophobic, a little bit of a gun grabber, and he's still polling in double digits in some of these polls. I I think that that 11 percentage points that he had, I saw a Fox News poll, I, I don't see him really gaining any traction. He hasn't been able to put together any kind of, of national campaign stuff. And Republicans, a lot of them get excited when somebody tells Obama where to stick it, and then all of a sudden they become a top-tier presidential candidate. We've got to get away from that model. He's, um, he's, like, he's on the issues where you want to be, we want to have a Republican really, really strong He's really, really weak. <laughs> and on the issues where you want a Republican really, really weak, he's really, really strong. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't really see him having much viability. Um, I, you know, I'm sure he's a great guy. Yeah. I don't want to fault him. He's very talented yeah. as a, oh, as, he's a neurosurgeon. As a surgeon, very, very talented. Beth- I mean, you don't want to obviously very, very smart. Guy. I think he'd be a great surgeon general. But yeah, oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. He so would that's be. something that that I would look at for for somebody like him. So we, okay, so his eleven points. Let's 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 disperse that. We've got Marco Rubio, uh, a son of Cuban immigrants, uh, an attorney. He was uh, Speaker of the House down in Florida, been a senator for the past four years. You have Rand Paul, also a doctor. He's been a senator from Kentucky for the past four years. Obviously, his father was in Congress for 25 to 30 years, Ron Paul. So he's got a little bit of a legacy. He's a little bit different than some of the other candidates. You also have um, uh, Ted Cruz, who is... uh, Really, kind of gone all in for the Huckabee type, the social conservatives, which I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I, I, I guess that's his way of trying to get that niche and then expanding from there. I always thought Ted Cruz and Rand Paul were cut from the same cloth, but there, I'm seeing pretty big differences now uh, between them. Um, with with Rand being qu- not quite as bellicose 
as Ted Cruz, more of a, a bridge builder, I would say. And Cruz just literally going all in for the America and, you know, the, the bellicose strength and, um, you know, really going after the religious right. I, I think that's a fair comparison. I think Ted Cruz is kind of – I think his demeanor, the way he conducts himself, I think it's very much kind of like he's trying to portray himself as a no-nonsense type of an individual mm-hmm. that's – I'm just all about business and I have this set of, you know, principles and this is what I stick by. And I'll be honest, I think there's a lot of what Ted Cruz has to say and, and some of his principles or at least some of the things that he campaigns on that I, I agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it um, I think is just your typical, you know, it's where all your Republicans are going to agree anyway. But when you start to get into the particulars, I just – I feel that um, – he wants to be a lot more authoritative. It just he wants to come from more of that religious, you know, arena, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I think he's going to run into a lot of trouble when it comes to um, being able to broaden his base. I think that he's not going to reach out much beyond that, or Huckabee crowd, as you kind of put mm-hmm. it. Um, Rand, I think that uh, I think Rand that is already being attacked. Literally the day after he uh, he announced formally, there was already these um, Secure America packs that you know these are the, from the Lindsey Graham types of the world that have talked about Rand Paul being dangerous and being to the left of Obama on certain policies. I mean that that to me is for Rand means that he is a threat to the establishment. I, I think he should be encouraged by that. What do you think? I 100% agree with you. I think the fact that there are enough people within the Republican Party that are willing to speak out against him, you know, McCain and, and Graham. That yeah, and, and uh, Peter King hates him. Oh, Peter that, King, no, he absolutely. Hates, he hates Ted Cruz. Never mind. Yeah, he, he, he's not a friend of Rand either, <laughs> though. I mean, uh, but you know, you have uh, you know, you have the wacko birds comment from McCain. I mean, yeah. I mean, they clearly there clearly is a certain contingency within the Republican Party that is <laughs> scared. Of what Rand may or may not do, and uh, the funny thing is, is it's weird when you see a certain wing of the Republican Party align a lot with the Democrat Party. Yeah, it kind of lets you know where those, you know, they're called rhinos. That's how you can kind of really identify them. They're the ones yeah. that are aligning with the the Democrats. What, what neocons or rhinos? Neocons, those, rhinos. Those people use those energy. Neocon basically is a Democrat that has a robust foreign policy that wants to have an interventionist. That's what the, that term, neoconservative, it's the Bill Crystals and the Lindsey Grahams. And um, I guess John McCain has been classified yeah. as a neocon. The rhino gets replied. I mean, John McCain rhino. was censored by his own state rhino, party. The rhino, it's an acronym Republican in name only. It is tossed around so much. It, I mean, Marco Rubio was called a, he was a Tea Party darling and then after he tried to at least find some path for it on immigration he's been termed a rhino. I you know, it's almost it's a, it, it it almost makes some of these candidates probably scared to even talk aloud about possible solutions. I don't agree with the pathway to citizenship. I think we already have that. I think there already is an application process, and you pay the fees and and you get in line with everybody. So we already have that. But for him to for him to want to talk about it and and talk about the 11 million uh, folks here, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think we should label him a rhino simply because he's. I, I wasn't throwing Marco Rubio. In yeah, that oh, I, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just talking in general. I've seen I gotcha, him I gotcha. being called a rhino and he doesn't I, I, I think I think Marco Rubio um, he's he's the one I know least about to be honest with you. He seems in my opinion like the little brother of the the three of them, if you look at how they've interacted in the Senate, you know, Ted Cruz did his little filibuster. Yeah, Green Eggs know, and Ted. Yeah, uh, a quasi-filibuster. And then, you know, Rand Paul did his. And then, you know, Rubio's just kind of been the, the little brother on the sidelines, just kind of hanging out with the, you know, the older brothers. Um, but, you know, I, as far as the amnesty thing goes, I mean, 
Does there some is there something that needs to be changed to it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I think um, you know, in my opinion, that we don't the number of people that we allow into this country needs to be increased. I think that you need to do that first and foremost. If you're going to have some kind of a regulated way of doing it, it's just the the waiting list is way too long. You know, I have a buddy who um, he's here legally, went through the process. Uh-huh. His dad was here for 18 years before he was allowed to bring his wife and his kid over. That's, and it's that's, great It's great that he change. did that, mm-hmm. but the fact that it took that long is its ridiculous. Yeah. If You either want the guy in the country or you don't. If right. you don't, don't make him wait 18 years to bring his entire family over. Yeah, I that, think that's ridiculous. It, it is, and that's those are the things that we need to streamline. As, as you know, my wife uh, is from Ecuador, and we went through the legal process, and we were able to get it expedited because, frankly, I was a citizen, and uh, we were married, and she was already here. But just going through all the green card interviews and and paying all the fees, I can see why people don't want to do it because it can be daunting. And that took uh, between four to five years. And some of these folks have literally been in line for 12 to 15 years. They've been here working. Some of them are under uh, or off the grid and not contributing to uh, our social service, to our tax base. So the streamlining and bringing in technology, getting the people here that are actually going to work and not suck off the system. That's where we need to, to, to focus on. I don't think most people come here to suck off the system, though. I think most people come here to work. And whether they come here legally or illegally, I, 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 the percentage that want to suck off the system is, I think, very small. You know, I, I, that's the thing I disagree on, especially when we have this mandated public education system where uh, we really can't even ask anybody what their legal status is, and I they're can, automatically enrolled. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they con- a lot of the, the anchor, and a lot of people think that we're t- typically talking about Latinos, but there are plenty of illegals that are from China, that are from Eastern Europe, that are from. Uh, Africa even and and those uh, all of those problems need to be addressed we cannot be looked at as some you know huge uh, offering plate that people no, no I agree I agree with what you're saying to a certain extent as far as the schools go you're right if you're coming over here purely to use the schools and that's all you did then of course yes there would be that would be using an entitlement but how are schools funded a lot of how schools are funded are based off of you know taxes mm-hmm. some of them being sales taxes so the money that they spend in the area is going to fund the local schools so they are paying for it even though they aren't here legally they're still taking part in the taxation that occurs and if they do come here and work and happen to have some kind of a, a you know, a, whether it's a falsified document or not, but mm-hmm. the ability to have taxes taken out of their check, yeah. they're paying for it that way as well. Right. But the, the thing is, is I think that, um, you know, a lot of people get demonized as trying to come here purely to mute off the system. Mm-hmm. That's not why they come here. People come here to better their lives, to be able to improve upon themselves. Um, we just make it really difficult for them to do that when right. we get here by making it illegal yeah. to hire them. You know, it shouldn't be a business's responsibility to determine whether or not somebody is legal to yeah. work here. That's the government's responsibility, and they yeah. shouldn't shuffle it off the, onto. That's one of the few uh, itemized thing that is constitutional, because uh, the role of government is, is um, we've been talking about is uh, has expanded more and more. This, this federal monstrosity that employs four million people now—that's the uh, largest employer in the country. That is an amazing number of folks that now work for government and everybody talks about cutting government but when it comes down to cutting departments people say oh my god I'm going to lose my job and nobody wants to tell somebody that their job is lost you almost need to have those <laughs> the consultants come in from uh, the movie office space <laughs> say look you're no longer needed we're, we're, we're going to keep you on, uh, on the pay well we're just going to cut off your payroll so you can keep <laughs> coming to work 
we're just going to cut it off. Anyway, we've got to take our final break here on Greg's List. We're talking with Nate Porter. We're going to talk a little bit uh, Georgia Republican Party. Nate is actually running for treasurer of the state party, which I think is uh, pretty uh, pretty big move there and uh, something that um, it's interesting to see competition in that because we haven't seen that in a while. So we'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedStuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedStuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism on AmericasWebRadio.com. wanted to uh, once again mention the Herman Cain Show broadcasting live tomorrow night, Wednesday. Um, at the uh, Is tomorrow tax day, too? I believe so. April 15th. Which, by the way, folks, if, you, if you're anticipating a refund then don't you don't have to kill yourself getting your taxes. And the government is more than happy to continue borrowing from you at 0% interest. So don't kill yourself trying to get your taxes in by April 15th. Don't pay exorbitant rush fees if it gets there April 17th. You're good. There are no penalties, no no charges. Um, Nate, you, you do some payroll and some, some bookkeeping type stuff. Am I right about that? Yeah, no, that is if you are getting a refund, they have no problems with you waiting past the deadline. Yep. Um, but, yep. I mean, at the same time, you do want to get it in as soon as possible because if they see that you didn't file, they will they will address that. Yeah, but they if you if they owe you money, they can't penalize you. Uh, they can't penalize you if they owe you money, but what they can do is they can, on your behalf, eventually they'll file your taxes, and they won't do it in your favor. Uh, 
In which case, they will then say that you owe them money, and so you want to make sure that you get it filed or file your extension. Um, if you if you are going to file it, make sure you file your extension for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's something that, that just keeps them from coming after you. Now, if you file your extension because you're getting a refund, and two months later you get your refund, there's not going to be any penalties or anything right. like that. Right. Now, if you owe them money, that's different. But uh, yeah, the if ex- you don't. The extension, you're supposed to send in estimated money. It really hurts self-employed people. They're the ones that have to cut these checks. And if you think about it philosophically, wouldn't wouldn't people be more in tune to the system if they actually had the right checks to the government instead of it automatically being withheld? What do you th- I mean, just – Absolutely. Be, you know, it, instead of going to the fair tax, instead of go, I mean, I would – again, that's a, that's a pipe dream in my opinion. I don't see that happening. But just to have people have to, to get away from the automatic withholding and write checks just once a month, what would that do? That I mean, even <laughs> even if it was once a month, I think once a year would be better, but – but yeah, I mean, I think that'd be sticker shock instantly. <laughs> I mean, you're going to look at it, and as you're writing the zeros, and you're instead of having to write a really long word in that, you know, you're going to think twice. Three hundred seventy-two. I mean, I think per month, once a month, every every month, we'll get away from this automatic withholding. This will be a Greg's List rule, a new a new law, if you will. Um, but, I think that will be great. But you, um, you, you've got some financial experience, and you have actually jumped into the race for treasurer of the state Republican Party. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big role. What, uh, what do you think uh, makes you qualified for it, and why do you want to get involved on the state level, Nate? Um, what makes me qualified, I, uh, my wife and I, we own a bookkeeping company and a payroll company. <clears throat> We've been doing bookkeeping for over 200 clients in uh, 40 different states. Mm-hmm. Um, we've built our business that way. We have you know nine employees, 10 employees, something like that right now, and uh, locally here in Roswell, Georgia. Um, so it's, I mean, it's what I do. It's my profession. So I, I feel if I have 200 people that can trust me with their businesses, uh, the state party can probably trust me in that role mm-hmm. as well. Um, the other reason, though, why is I just, I got a chance to actually see the finances as far as where the Republican Party is sitting now. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's just not good is the reality of it. Um, you know, there's uh, about $100,000 was spent last month. Uh, I'm sorry, $100,000 was inter- uh, generated last month. And two hundred seventy-one thousand dollars was spent last month, so that's a loss of one hundred seventy-one thousand dollars. Not last month, I'm sorry, last quarter. Okay. Um, if you look at what the actual account balance is now, um, you know we have one hundred thirteen thousand in our checking account and one hundred seven thousand in liabilities. I mean, that's less than ten thousand dollars left in the bank. Right. But the treasurer isn't going to be able to necessarily dictate the policy. So. Um, well, no, 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 no. That's not. The, it's managing the money. It's managing the finances. It's understanding how this money is actually spent. Um, it's understanding how to squeeze every little penny. It's. It's. There's two things that need to be done to be able to fix this. The first thing is that we need to figure out how to lower expenses. Okay, and that's that's what I do. I, I the reason why I have a payroll company is I started that to lower my bookkeeping clients' payroll expense, and that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. So you need somebody to go through the books, look at the line items, and figure out how can we do what we're trying to do now at a cheaper rate. And that so is one hundred percent an audit, almost essentially, yeah. And that is one hundred percent the responsibility of the 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 bookkeeper okay. or the you know the treasurer. Um, the other thing is to we have to figure out how to raise revenue. And it, the guy that manages the money, I, I feel, is also responsible for helping the chairman mm-hmm. um, figure out how to raise that money. Um, and there's simple things that we can do to do that. Uh, we could throw an uh, Amazon link on the affiliate link onto the actual state website so that anybody that's wanting to contribute their Amazon purchases to the state party could easily just use that affiliate link. You know, if we have people throughout the entire state doing that and we're really pushing that, the coffers of the state party are going to increase. 
So, so I, basically, if I like, you, it would be a referral partner. So if I bought something on Amazon, they would get five cents of every transaction, something like that. I don't, I don't know the exact numbers. I'm sure okay. it's that's a percentage a, that's of a, that's some an sort. Interesting idea. I haven't. Um, uh, yeah, there's other things we could do. We could also, uh, you know, every single uh, state senator and congressman and, and, and everybody that runs for public office, they have marketing materials within the Republican Party that they need to get. They all get it. Mm-hmm. Um, if instead of buying them separately, we have them buy it directly through the party, um, the party could negotiate a really good discount for them, work in a small little bit of a margin for themselves so that they can actually generate money for the party at the same time saving money for all the candidates. So come... Uh, the, uh, consult- the consultants will kill you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so be yeah. it. The, the, my, I'm not worried about the consultants. I'm worried about the Republican Party being able to grow. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about the financial state of the Republican Party. If we spend another $171,000 this next quarter with the 10000 we have in the bank, mm-hmm. we will we will be... We're not going to have money. Well, I mean, it's got to we come from the somewhere. Convention. They did have the uh, spring gala, so I, I think th- you know this is a snapshot of it. But I, I like your ideas, though. These are things that uh, hadn't been I, thought. I'm not. Of. I'm not saying that what happened or where we spent the money was right or wrong, mm-hmm. good or bad. It is what it is. What I'm saying is the reality of the situation is that right now we don't have a lot of funds in the bank, and in order for us to fix that situation, we need somebody that actually. Um, knows what they're doing, that knows how to actually manage the finances and is willing to pay attention to the little details to increase the revenue as much as possible and decrease the spending as much as possible. Gotcha. Well, it is um, it is interesting. Like I said, some of these new ideas um, about uh, monetizing the uh, the website, that, um, like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. So it's, it's interesting. The treasure race has not been contested for ever since I've been involved. So... Um, It'll be interesting to, to see how that shakes out. I know a couple of years ago when I ran for second vice chair, almost every race except for treasurer was contested. So um, a little bit different dynamic going on now. I um, wanted to, to wrap up here a little bit. We're here with uh, Nate Porter. We've been talking a little bit of, uh, of uh, presidential politics, a little bit of state politics, a little bit of government philosophy. Back to the presidential tickets. I'm um, I'm big time leaning towards Scott Walker. We haven't seen any of the governors announced yet, but we know that uh, or former governors like Jeb Bush. We know Jeb Bush is going to be running. Pretty pretty confident that Scott Walker is going to be running. We've also heard John Kasich from Ohio, uh, Bobby Jindal from Louisiana, and uh, you know there may be there may be a few more that jump in. I mean, we could have up to ten legitimate candidates running for this. What do you think about governors as far as being... They, they've had to be CEOs of a state. They've had to balance budgets. They don't get to print money like the feds do. What do you think about them as being potential candidates? Um, I, I think that they have a different set of experience than a senator actually has. and It's definitely not a bad thing. Um, I, there's some of the governors that I like more than others. Uh, Scott Walker specifically. Um, while I don't necessarily like him as much as I do Rand... Um, I do really admire the way he stood up to the unions and the way he got a lot of stuff done right. that way. Yep. And what I really do like about him, regardless of whether or not I agree with him, is that he actually is willing to step up at the plate and actually get stuff done, where I feel a lot of other people, you get a lot of lip service, and the, the mm-hmm. results that you you want to see just aren't there. Right. You know? Well, you know, Walker, uh, you know, he's won three out of the past four years. He's been able to achieve conservative policy in a uh, purple state. Jobs have been leaving Illinois and going to Wisconsin because he's, you know, been able to make it a right, get, get right to work legislation signed. He faced a recall election uh, a couple years ago and, and, and fended that off. And, uh, 
I just think he appeals to a large swath of the Republican Party. We were talking about Ted Cruz being kind of a only going after the 10 to 20 percent of the, the religious right. Rand Paul has broadened the base, but he's obviously the establishment is a little leery of him. Uh, Rubio, I think I think Rubio can attract a broad swath. I think he's. Uh, you know, a little too inexperienced. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred percent inexperienced. I, I think Rubio would make a hell of a governor. I would love. I would like to see him run for governor of Florida in a couple of years and um, and see what he can do at that executive level. I just, uh, you know, and I guess I can say the same thing about Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. Their their limited time in the Senate. I'm not sure makes them qualified to be president. But then again, you look at the governors, and they're lacking foreign policy experience. So I think the the dream Republican ticket will be a hybrid between a governor and a senator. So I certainly see Rand Paul uh, being a viable VP candidate. Um, I thought yesterday if we had Johnny Isaacson and Scott Walker run, we could have the Johnny Walker 2016 ticket. Uh, well, well, the only thing I like about that combo well, is the name. We'll help you forget the last eight years. <laughs> that would be a hell of a slogan, wouldn't it? But uh, no, that's. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought I thought I, I, I got fun. I got fundraising emails from both of them the same day, Johnny and Walker, and I just put it together. And I said, and speaking of fundraising emails, my God, Rand Paul. Every other email I get is either uh, my Nigerian bank inheritance from the Bank of Lagos. Or uh, Rand Paul saying, "Dear friend, I need your help more than ever." Now both of them have just gone nuts with these these money bomb things, and um, or I mean, Rand Paul has. So, you know, you've, I've had to unsubscribe from a couple of them a little bit. So if you if you know anybody on that team, tell them to slow it down. Only three a day, if you can do that for me, Nate. No worries, man. I've been getting them too. Uh, it's what you got to do, though, man. You got to raise that funds. Yep, yep, exactly. Well, listen, we appreciate you guys listening today. Once again, Herman Kane at the Miller Learning Center doing his show tomorrow night, University of Georgia, the best college town, Athens, in the history of the world. Shout out to my UGACRs, also the GSUCRs. We'll be having Herman Kane on April 29th. So, Kane is making the rounds. Of the college, and I can understand that. He wants to build his ratings, go after the younger people. Anyway, we appreciate you guys listening to Greg's List today. We'll see you next week. And uh, as always, you can find me at gregslistlive.blog.com. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in.